Today's about everybody who's ever been wrongly accused. I promise you on everything that's ever meant anything to me in my life, the morals, the values, the virtues by which I've lived for my 28 years on this planet, I did not do this. And I would bet my life that this substance never entered my body at any point, at any point, at any point. And he also apologized for many of the things he said at a press conference a year and a half ago. And he wrote, I am so sorry for letting you down by being in denial for so long and not telling the whole truth. There exists no one who can truthfully testify that I have ever used performance-enhancing drugs simply for the reason that I never have. Never, ever used performance-enhancing drugs. I want all of you to know that today I pled guilty to two counts. And so it is with a great amount of shame that I stand before you and tell you that I have betrayed your trust. This is what he said just last month in New Orleans. I, I, I have no idea what you're asking about. Uh, I've responded to uh, consistently to these tabloid allegations by saying I don't respond to these lies. I stand by them. Now the stunning about face. I made a very serious mistake, a mistake that I am responsible for. I did nothing wrong at the Minneapolis airport. My family and I have been relentlessly and viciously, viciously harassed. Still, without a shred of truth or evidence to the contrary, the statesman has engaged in this witch hunt. I'm sure this is an issue that is not yet over. Therefore, it is with sadness and deep regret that I announce that it is my intent to resign from the Senate to my staff, my Senate colleagues, but most importantly, to my wife and my family, I apologize for what I have caused. I am deeply sorry. Can anybody tell the truth anymore? I mean, our athletes, they assure us that they're honest. And then they beg of our forgiveness when they come clean. And then we're to believe that other athletes are telling the truth when they tell us that they didn't take performance-enhancing drugs. Our celebrities that we have kind of puffed up in our society are accused of doing wrong things, and they swear to us that they didn't do anything wrong only a few days or weeks later to apologize for misleading us. Politicians get a really bad rap, and maybe rightfully so, because many of them have told us that they were wrongfully accused of whatever it is that they were being accused of only to eventually stand in front of cameras and microphones to say that they are sorry for misleading us and lying to us, especially to those closest to them. And could we please forgive them? It's easy for us to kind of sit back and throw darts at those who are on the television screens and on the movie screens and those that we watch in sports. And it's easy for us to look at them and say, man, can't they just tell the truth? But they're not the only ones who lie. There was a study done by the University of Massachusetts where they took two people and they put them together and said that they just wanted them to talk for 10 minutes. Just, just talk to one another. And so they talked for 10 minutes and at the end of it, the researchers asked them, were you truthful? And they, they said, yes. They said, were you 100% truthful with the other person in the conversation? They said, yes. And then they showed them back a recording of that 10-minute conversation and asked them to identify anywhere in the 10 minutes that they were dishonest. 
And over 60% of those who had engaged in the conversation admitted that they told at least one lie during that 10-minute conversation with this other person. The average was that they told three lies in the 10 minutes. And the, the crazy thing about it is they would often lie about stuff that didn't matter. Just little things. Like there was another study that was done in England and they found out that about 30% of people lied about the fact that they had ever seen the Godfather. They told people that they had seen the Godfather when in fact they truly had not because they didn't want to tell the person asking them that no, they had not in fact ever seen the movie The Godfather. And I don't know what movie you've lied about seeing, but I'm sure you probably have. When somebody says, hey, did you ever see, you know, Star Wars or Indiana Jones or some movie that you drive and Miss Daisy, something you were supposed to have seen. It's like a pop culture classic. And you're like, yeah, I think I watched that that one time. I mean, I fell asleep during part of it or and you never watched it. Right. Our kids watch us do these things. Our kids, by the time they are two or three years old, on average, tell their first lie. Two or three. My dad would say, and he said it with each of our four kids, you know, nobody taught him how to do that. And I don't know that that's entirely true. Their mother, no, I'm just kidding. But the average kid at the age of two or three tells their first lie. And here's what researchers would say. They would actually justify lying because they would say that that's actually showing their cognitive development. Because at two or three years old, they are realizing what truth is And they, with their minds, are creating an alternative to that truth. They're actually saying a kid that can lie at two or three years old is smarter than the average two or three-year-old. Studies have shown that a four-year-old can't go more than two hours without lying. A six-year-old can't go more than an hour and a half. By the time they're 20, I'm told, they can't go more than a minute. Right? At least that's what one of our volunteers said this morning. But the kids, they they watch their parents and they watch those around them and they see that we lie. And often we lie about stuff that doesn't matter. So why do we lie? Why Why do we lie about things that don't matter? Why do we lie about big things? You know, there were some statistics that that I haven't even gotten to. 12% of adults admit to telling lies sometimes or often. That's just admitting that they lie. 12% of people are honest to say that they're liars. If you think about it that way, 80% of women, and we're not picking on women, although they are bigger liars, 80% of women admit to occasionally telling harmless half-truths. Half-truths, obviously, being that way that we feel better about saying that we lie. 31% of people admit to lying on their resumes. Anybody want to be honest about that? You ever lied about that? Yes, I actually do speak Spanish. Yes, habla espanol. I'm very fluent in burrito, taco. Okay, 13%. Of patients lie to their doctors. The people that are supposed to help you. How are you feeling? I'm feeling fine. Really? Because on the sheet you filled out in the lobby. You said you were having headaches. Yeah, went away. Totally gone. 13% of people lie to their doctors. So why do we lie? Three main reasons. And there's probably hundreds of others. But why do we lie? The first is that we do it to gain the respect. Or to make a good impression Towards someone else. So that someone would respect us. Or to make a good impression on them. So if you're like the, the coffee fetching intern. On your online dating profile. It says you're a research assistant. Because you want to make a good first impression. To gain someone's respect. They would say. Hey do you work out? And you're like yeah. I mean two or three times a year. 
right? Because we want to make a good impression. We want to gain the respect of someone. The second reason that we lie is to avoid the consequences for making a mistake. This is often, and this is the number one reason that kids do learn to lie, is because they don't want the punishment that may accompany the mistake that they've made, and so they lie to cover up their action to try and avoid the consequence. And we carry that into adulthood. So the second thing, that we, the reason that we lie is to avoid the consequences for the mistake. And the third reason is something that we justify as saying it's okay, is to spare someone's feelings. Does this dress make me look fat? No, it does not. No, never, never skinnier. Ever. We, we lie to spare someone's feelings. And we justify that by making it seem like it's okay to lie because we don't want to hurt their feelings by being truthful. And so we, we would lie to maybe make a good first impression or to gain someone, someone's respect. We would try to lie to avoid some consequences. Or maybe we would justify it to say, hey, we're trying to spare their feelings. It, it reminds me, of a, of a story that I heard about a really famous pastor, a bishop. His name was uh, Warren Candler. And he was preaching one time to his congregation, and he was telling them about the story in the New Testament of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira had lied to God about how much they had sold a piece of land to, and they had paid a portion of it to the church and lied about how much it actually was. And God struck them dead for lying. And he was telling that story, and he said, aren't we glad... That God doesn't strike us dead for lying anymore. And the congregation kind of snickered back to him. And it made him mad. And he said, well, I'll tell you where I would be if God struck people dead for lying. He said, I'd be preaching to an empty room right now. Some of you will get that on the way home. Because the statistics are true. And two out of every three people, 60% lie every 10 minutes. Then... Look at yourself and the person on your left and the person on your right. And two of the three of you have lied in the last 10 minutes. The only thing you've done is greeted one another. So when that person said, yeah, good to see you too. They were lying to you. (laughs) And if you know you weren't lying, then everybody in the room has lied to you all day long. But it's interesting to me that as we continue this series, Summer at the Mount... We're going to go back to the very first sermon that Jesus Christ ever preached in Matthew chapter 5. And he addresses this very topic. 2,000 years ago, he addressed a topic that we are still wrestling with even today. So if you've got your Bibles, flip with me to Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. We're going to read it from two translations. So if you've got a device or an app or something that you would use, you're going to flip maybe if you want to see them both. From the ESV, English Standard Version, to the Message Translation. And they will be on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you today. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. This is what it says. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. I want to read that in the message translation, the exact same passage, so that maybe we can clean it up where we might understand it, and then we'll go back and talk about it a little bit. And here's what it says in the message. And don't say anything you don't mean. This counsel is embedded deep in our traditions. You only make things worse when you lay down a smokescreen of pious talk saying, I'll pray for you and never doing it. Or saying, God be with you and not meaning it. 
You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace. In making your speech sound more religious, it becomes less true. Just say yes and no. When you manipulate words to get your own way, you go wrong. Now, I want you to flip back to the previous translation, if you would, guys. The, the ESV was what we read earlier, and, and this is it's one of my favorite translations of Scripture, but I know that it can, might be a little confusing because he's talking about don't give an oath by heaven or don't give an oath by the earth. It's the throne of God. It's the footstool or by Jerusalem for it's the city of the great thing. What Jesus is doing is he's actually referencing two Old Testament passages. There's a passage in Leviticus 19 and in Numbers chapter 30 that Jesus was pointing these New Testament, they didn't even know they were New Testament, but for us, the New Testament listener to an Old Testament truth. And he was saying to them, you've actually heard about how to give oaths or how to swear on things. But he said, what, what happened here is that the Pharisees, many of the people that were listening to Jesus, had taken the oath system and they, they had kind of twisted it up and they had made it sound like our legal system. You know how like if you're ever in the court or if you've ever been to court or you've ever watched a courtroom type show, how it's the littlest word that might change guilt or innocence. Someone could actually be guilty but get off on a technicality. Someone could be innocent but be found guilty because of a technicality. And that's what the Pharisees had done in this day is they had taken the system of oaths and swearing and they had made it almost kind of their own legalese and they had made levels of truthfulness. They said, if you say one thing and you say that it's true, that's, that's something. But if you swear by God, then that means it's the highest level of truthfulness you can, you can mean. Ryan Braun did that. The very first guy we watched on this. He said, I swear by everything that's ever meant anything to me, I did not take this substance. God have mercy on his soul. But the Pharisees said, listen, yeah, if you swear by God, that means you're really, really, really telling the truth. But if you swear by anything on earth, that means you, you know, there's some leeway there. If you swear by yourself, yeah, that's even kind of a lower level of taking an oath. If you're found guilty of lying, but you only swore on yourself, you're not as guilty as if you're found lying and you swore by God. Man, that, that sounds like present day, doesn't it? We have levels of truthfulness. And Jesus was confronting all of that and saying, listen. Let's throw that whole system out and let's just let our yes be yes and our no be no. Just tell the truth. Just be truth speakers. He was saying, listen, it's better for you to make a promise and keep it and prove by your track record that you are a promise keeper worthy of trusting than to thoughtlessly use a powerful name like Yahweh to back up your promise that may or may not be kept. He said, listen, let's just tell the truth. And let's just let our actions show people that when we say something, we actually mean it. He insisted, let's just tell the truth. Now, he himself spoke about things like this in a very famous verse that we might quote or you might have heard before, even if you're not a person of, of faith. John fourteen six is Jesus declaring some things about himself. And this is what he says in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is Jesus talking, declaring some things about himself, kind of setting up his identity for those that are listening. And one of the things that he says about himself, if you, I am the truth. He's not saying I speak the truth only. 
He's saying my identity is truth. When people hear me speak, they may not like everything that I say, but they're going to know that I'm telling the truth because it's actually who I am. That's not a huge leap when we understand who his father is. Jesus is claiming to be the son of God. And in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, it says this. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. The writer here is saying, it's almost an aside. It's almost just kind of thrown in there. Like if you just take the part out between the dashes, it says, have eternal life, which God promised them before the world began. But the writer wants you to know that when God said it, you can take it to the bank. Like when God writes the check, he cashes it. It's good. He fulfills his promises. He says, listen, the truth about eternal life, which God, and there's a context here to the writing and the introduction of this letter, but he says the truth of eternal life, which God promised, is good because God does not lie. It doesn't say he didn't lie here. It doesn't say he doesn't lie a lot. It doesn't say that he only lies, you know, 40% of the time. He's not one of those 60 percenters. It doesn't say he doesn't lie every 10 minutes like many of us. It says he does not lie. It's a part of his identity. His character, his nature, the actions of his life are summed up here as it relates to truthfulness. So when Jesus is walking the earth and wants us to know who he is, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so as little Christs, that's what Christian means, Christ followers, if you call yourself a Christian or you're kind of checking out Christianity, trying to figure out if you want to believe and follow in this way, you would be saying, I too am the truth. As I follow after the example of Jesus Christ, I am saying about myself that I want to not just tell the truth, but to be the truth. Because here's the reality. This is one of the verses that we read, we've heard, but we don't like. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19 say this. There are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things that he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. I don't want to break this passage down because there's a ton here. And this is kind of a theological hotbed of a lot of stuff right here. But there are two parts of this one passage that says God hates some things. He hates a lying tongue. And he hates someone that goes about spreading lies. That seems repetitive. When I read something that seems repetitive, it's probably because he's repeating something I need to hear. He knows that I've got a thick head and sometimes it doesn't always get in in the first reading. And so maybe there's something I need to know. Anybody feel a little challenged this morning? Anybody ever told a lie? Anybody told a lie this morning? Right? Right? I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. I want to follow after the example of Jesus Christ. I want to live like Jesus lived to the very best of my ability. And yet, I don't know if I always tell the truth. I I might be one of those 80%, not of the women, but of the people who tell half-truths. 
I want to be a truth teller. So here's some takeaways from today. Here's some things that if we just kind of unpack them, we try to figure out how do I, how do I do what Jesus is commanding here? In Matthew chapter 5, if he's saying, listen, let's just let our yes be yes and our no be no. Let's not worry about which level of truthfulness we're trying to attain here. Let's just tell the truth. Let's just be good truth-telling, non-lying, non-misleading, non-half truth-telling people. Then what are some things that we need to know? The first thing is this. Lying feels better for the liar than the listener. I'm going to say that again. Lying feels better for the liar than the listener. If you think about everything in your life, we are far more unforgiving than we want to be forgiven, right? We, we are far less grace-filled than we want to receive grace. What I mean by that is when we're interacting with someone, we want them to give us the benefit of the doubt, but we don't always give them the benefit of the doubt. We want them to tell us the truth, but we don't always tell them the truth. Lying is, it feels better for the liar than the listener. Whatever our motivation, whatever it is that we're attempting to do, while we're lying, while we're manipulating the truth, while we're telling some half-truths, it's really for us. It's, it's selfish to do that. Even if we think we're protecting them, it's a selfish thing that we're doing because we are not giving them the truth. We're not helping them to understand the actual reality of life. And so lying feels better for the liar than for the listener. But ultimately, even, even if we've justified it, even if we think we're protecting them, Whatever it is that we're doing, we are actually undermining the relationship that exists there. Have you ever caught anybody that you really love in a lie? Man, doesn't that hurt? Doesn't that sting? Isn't it difficult in that moment and moving forward to really, really forgive and trust again? Not because you're a terrible person who can't forgive, but man, you thought if anybody would be honest, they would be honest. You thought if anybody would tell you the truth, they would tell you the truth. And, and whether it was to make a good impression or to try to let you accept them or to cover up a mistake and try to avoid consequences. Or maybe they, you know, they thought they were protecting you or what. Man, it just it hurts and it stings. Lying feels better for the liar than for the listener. Even if in the moment they don't both realize it, eventually when it comes out, it's not going to feel good for the listener because they realize they've been lied to. The second thing is this, lying reflects evil and not good. Lying actually reflects evil. No matter what your motivation, no matter what you think you're doing, no matter how good your intentions or your motives are, lying reflects evil and not good. Lying never reflects good. It always reflects evil. And here's what I mean. In John chapter 8, verse 44, this is what it says. For you are the children of your father, the devil. Jesus is talking to a specific group of people here. So don't think he's casting all of us as children of the devil. But he's talking to a specific group. And he's talking about who the devil is. He says, you love to do the evil things that he does. He has always, the devil, hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he's a liar and the father of lies. Jesus is saying here to a group of people, he's saying, listen, the devil, he's a liar. He's the father of lies. There's no truth in him. And you who follow his example are actually reflecting his character. You're actually doing something that reflects him. Jesus said over here, 
I am the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Over here is the devil. Over here is evil. He's the father of lies. There's no truth in him. I'm the truth. No truth exists here. And when we lie, we're choosing sides. We're saying, I don't want to be on this team. I don't want to be on team Jesus. Right? I'm not the way, the truth, and the life. I'm not trying to live in this relationship with a God who does not lie. I'm actually over here reflecting evil for the one who is consistent in his behavior as a liar. There's no truth in him. Lying reflects evil, not good. No matter how we justify it. No matter how we try to sugarcoat it and feel better about it. No matter what it is that we're trying to do. We are lying, manipulating, or deceiving. Which does not reflect the character and nature of God. It does not reflect the character and nature of God. If you reframe the lying. If you reframe it, if you try to take it out of the context of the specific conversation that you're having, it changes why and how you do it. If you don't think, okay, I'm just answering a specific question that I'm being asked by my boss. If you reframe it to say, I am intentionally deceiving the one who provides employment for me. It changes the way you interact with them. If you reframe the conversation and you don't say, okay, I am lying here to protect my wife or my husband from something that will hurt their feelings if they find out the truth. But if you reframe it, you pull out of that specific situation and reframe the conversation to say, the person that I say in this world I love the most, I want to deceive them. I want to manipulate the truth and I want to hide them from what is actually the true reality of life. About me or about them or about something else going on in our lives. Lying reflects evil, not good. No matter how you try to justify it, no matter how I try to justify it. If I reframe the question, if I reframe the conversation. It changes what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And the third thing is this. Lying for a moment costs more for longer. Lying for a moment costs more for longer. I said that one of the reasons that we lie is that we lie to avoid the consequences of a mistake. But the reality is we can't really avoid that consequence. We can only delay that consequence. Because here's what my mom taught me a long time ago, and this has been true in my life every single time I thought I got away with something. Your sins will find you out. I thought she was just trying to scare me as a kid. No, she was actually helping me to understand the reality of life. Be sure your sins will find you out. Time and time again in scripture, God, even for a moment, may allow those who are deceiving to get away with it. To think that they've won, to think that they have deceived and manipulated and hidden the truth in such a way that it's not going to cost them anything. And if you stop the story there, you would think, wow, that's incredible. Look what happened. They got away with it. They deceived. They lied. They told a half truth. And yet we see time and time again that ultimately God, through a prophet or through another person or through his sovereign judgment, intervenes in that story. to say, no, you cannot get away with lying. David, King David, my favorite character in scripture. 
unless you're required to say Jesus. And then, okay, my second favorite character in Scripture, King David. He has an affair with Bathsheba. He covers up that affair by killing her husband in a really deceitful way if killing wasn't bad enough. She ends up pregnant. She has the child. David thinks he's actually gotten away with it. Until the prophet Nathan comes to him one day and says, I want to tell you a story. There's a rich man and a poor man. And the poor man, all he has is this one little lamb. And the rich man comes and he steals the little lamb of the poor man. And he kills him for a banquet that he's putting on. And David is so infuriated by this story. He says, who is this man? I'll kill him. I'll make him pay restitution. I'll make it right. And Nathan points his finger in the face of King David. He says, it's you. It's you. Even though if we had stopped the story a couple chapters or a couple verses before, we might have thought that David got away with it. God was making sure that all along, David knew that God knew all along. He said, no, it was you. One of the saddest verses in scripture is where Nathan says to David, he says, listen, you had everything. And if it wasn't enough, God would have given you more. Think about that. You had everything. And if that wasn't enough, God would have given you more. And yet you went and took another man's wife. And then you took his life. And so guess what happened? The baby that was the result of the union of David and Bathsheba gets sick. David gets really sad and he mourns and he weeps and he doesn't eat and he doesn't change clothes and he doesn't shower and he, he, just, he just sits and he cries and he mourns and he pleads with God that this child wouldn't die. And then word comes to the servants that the baby has actually died. And they're standing at the door trying to tell David, what, what are we going to say to him? Look, if he's acting like this while the baby's still alive, what do you think he's going to do when the baby, when he finds out the baby's dead? And he sees them at the door and he stands up and he goes and he gets a shower, changes his clothes and he eats. And the servants say, King, we don't understand what you're doing. Like while the baby was alive, you were mourning and you didn't shower and you didn't change clothes, you didn't eat. But now that the baby's dead, you're actually up and showered and changing clothes and eating. We don't understand what you're doing. And David says, what can I do? Can I ask the baby to come back? Can I ask God to send the child back to me? No, I, I know that one day I will go to him. What David was understanding that you and I often don't is that there are consequences for the things that we do. There are earthly consequences. And you can pray a prayer of forgiveness and we believe and it is true that God will forgive you of the eternal need for your forgiveness. He'll he'll step in and he'll forgive you of sins and he'll save you and you can go to heaven and that's true, but it does not take away the earthly consequences. If you kill somebody and then ask God to forgive you, I believe God will forgive you, but you're probably going to go to jail. It's just the earthly consequence for your actions. And sometimes we trick ourselves into thinking that if we lie, we're going to get away with it. We're going to do away with the consequences. We can trick them. We can hide it. We can deceive. We can manipulate. We can keep putting it off and pushing it away. And we we can get away with this. And you know what the reality is? No, we can't. We can only delay. 
the consequences. Because lying for a moment costs more for longer. The longer that you hold your story, the longer that you retell that story, the longer that you tell the lie, manipulate the truth, deceive, to try to protect, to try to get away with it, to try to hide the consequences, push the consequences away. In the end, the consequence that you would have received back there is probably what you're going to hope for. Because it's probably going to cost you more than you ever thought you were going to have to pay. It's going to hurt way worse than you ever thought it would hurt. Because lying for a moment costs us more for longer. Because you may get away with it for a moment. It, It may not cost you anything in a moment. It may cost you the relationship. Because they can't trust you anymore. It may cost you that job when they see a pattern of deceit. It may cost you way more than you ever thought it would. Because lying for a moment costs more for longer. This is what the great theologian Mark Twain said. When in doubt, tell the truth. When in doubt, tell the truth. So why do we lie? We lie because we want to Make a good impression, gain respect, find acceptance. Guess what? Your value is not in the opinion of others. Your value is held by the one who does not lie. By the one whose son came and said, I am the truth. They actually hold your value. They actually set what you're worth. And when we go around lying and manipulating to gain respect and to make good impressions, what we're saying is, I'm willing to deceive myself and betray myself I'm willing to go against the very nature of the one that I claim to be about so that you like me it's not worth it why do we lie? we, we lie because we want to avoid the consequences for the mistakes and, I, and I've already kind of beat that to death but we cannot avoid the consequence we must pay the price for our actions here on earth it is not worth lying over Sometimes we lie just to try to save other people from hurt. We lie because we want to protect them or keep them from feeling something that we don't think they should have to feel. But in our attempt to make them feel better, we actually deceive those that we love. We cause them to trust us less. And here's here's kind of my takeaway for it. No matter my motivation, no matter what I'm think I'm doing to lie here's actually what I want to be I want to be the person that honest people look to for honesty and not the person liars look to to feel better I want to be the person that honest people look to I mean honest people just really honest people that you just know they're just honest it's just in them it's just who they are I want to be the kind of person that they just want to be around because they know that I'm going to tell them the truth They know I'm going to be authentic and genuine and always tell them the truth no matter what the situation. I don't want to be the guy that liars. I mean, people that I don't even trust look to and go, well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. When in doubt, tell the truth. And we're going to pray. We're going to close our time together today. Pray. 
here's the reality for all of us. We can pray a thousand prayers. You know how you tell the truth? You tell the truth. You know how you stop lying? You just stop lying. Yes, we have to reorient our heart. Yes, we have to quit looking at others for acceptance. Yes, we have to quit tricking ourselves into believing we can get away with it without consequences. Yes, we have to change the way we view how and reframe the question, reframe the conversation so we're not deceiving those we love. But ultimately, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just be honest. I mean, we read four verses from Jesus Christ and you know what the bottom line of those verses was? Tell the Talk is cheap. Let your talk be worth something. Talk's cheap. Let your talk be worth something. Let's pray. God, I thank you today that you challenged us 2,000 years ago with a truth that it's still relevant today. It still means something to us today because we still struggle telling the truth. We, we still struggle to swear by you if we think that that will prove how truthful we're being when we know we're not. To find some level, some magic word, some amount of pleading, some amount of feigned sincerity to make someone believe that we're telling the truth when we know in our hearts we're not. And maybe it's to gain respect or to make a good impression. Maybe it's to delay or try to think we're getting away with the consequences Maybe it's to protect someone in some twisted justification. But God, ultimately, we're lying. We're deceiving. We're manipulating. We're telling half truths. And so today, I pray that you would help us to be truth tellers. That in a culture where talk is cheap, that our talk would count for something. It would be worth something. It would matter. God, let us be people that tell the truth. That when in doubt, we would speak the truth. In Jesus' name we pray.